you come to realize like, no, there is so much depth to absolutely everything in this space that I only have the bandwidth to be good at maybe a couple of things. And if I'm not good at something, it's not in my best interest to lie because it's going to be very stressful. You're going to be unhappy with like the outcome that you get. And that's not good for either of us. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the fabulous Derek Gorthy. Derek is a successful software developer turned tech entrepreneur who is passionate about bringing Web3 technologies to the creator economy. He is a co-founder of Enshrine, an NFT marketplace that focuses on redefining how content creators connect with their fans and empowering creators to directly own financial relationships with their audience, independent of any platform. He gives me a crash course in everything I need to know to feel more current about the dang internet. Derek, I am so friggin' excited to have you here today. I know that I am going to learn so much from you, but first I got to ask you the question, which is what do small business owners need to focus on this week? Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. I would say that small business owners have to focus on what they cannot deliver. I think that is more important than what they can. I think that brutal honesty, that radical transparency that you can give your customer is incredibly important and will differentiate you from everyone else in your space. Dang. Dang. Did y'all hear that? (laughs) Brutal honesty and radical transparency. I love that. I hear the phrase brutal honesty and I'm like, ah, it's like (laughs) stepping into a nice warm shower. Like, oh, how lovely and refreshing brutal honesty, right? Like, and I feel like in the past, that idea or especially radical transparency would have scared me to death. But now that I'm out here, I'm like, that's what I want. That's what I expect and demand from the people in my life. And yet I don't know if I've ever asked myself if I'm being radically transparent. I know I'm being transparent. Am I being radically transparent? I know I'm being honest. Am I being brutally honest? Because so many of us try to solve every single problem. Yep, definitely. And your question to us of what can we not deliver really puts that on its head, right? Especially, we're going to talk a lot about startup and tech today. And so many times I would see people be like, okay, here's the value. Here's the MVP. And then 2.0 is this and 3.0 is that and 4.0 is this. And then we're eventually going to have a this and a that. And it's like, whoa, we're already in scope creep and we haven't even built the thing yet. Oh, absolutely. Right. And then 
for for infopreneurs, for non-tech folk, for service providers, there's still this mentality of who do you serve? I serve everyone. Yeah. What problems do you solve? I solve everything. So I, I think that utilitarian thinking is not doing us any favor, but I love this offer of an antidote, radical transparency. So what does radical transparency and brutal honesty look like in your day-to-day business? Yeah, in my day-to-day business, I think this actually started back when I was in tech consulting. And, and there would be so many people, like you said, that would say, uh, you know, I'm I'm licensed in these things and I can do any kind of these implementations. And and really, you're probably only an expert in a couple of things, right? You're definitely not going to solve mm-hmm. everything. But mm-hmm. people have this idea that that if you can say, no, I can solve all of your problems that that's going to be I mean, that's that's what's going to sell you. That's what's going to land you the role or the client. I kind of found the opposite. Right. I, I think people have really good bullshit detectors. I think they can pick up on your your one person. You obviously can't be good at everything. And what they want to know is like, what what can you actually deliver for me? And, and I mm. at least how I approach that was you know, taking a pitch that a client said, look, we want this kind of an implementation. We think you'd be a good fit here. And I would say, okay, this this is what I've done in the past. This is what I can, this is what I can do for you. Here are my gaps. I'm not good at everything. Here's who I would recommend to fill these gaps. And here's a realistic timeline for it. And that I felt was very different than what I saw kind of across the industry where it was very short timelines. We're going to solve it with half the people of these other competitors. And then what happens is you end up having the project run twice as long and it costs twice as much and, and you're unhappy Yeah, I was going to say, it. you blow your deadline and budget then. Oh, absolutely. happen happened every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I always try to look at it like back when I was doing more one-on-one consulting, which... I sort of miss sometimes, but back when I was doing that stuff, I would, so what worked for me on expressing that skill set or gap or, you know, what my lane was, what was comfortable for me was to use language proficiency terms to explain my knowledge of certain areas, right? So for example, you and I talked about the green room, like I worked in tech for five years, but I was on the marketing and selling and copywriting side. So I know how to bold things in HTML and that's about it. Like I could sort of find my way. I can, I can QA things real well. I can do a good bug test. Like, Mm -hmm. yay, that I can do. Ask me to build something. (laughs) Give me code. (laughs) Doesn't matter the language. I don't know it. But what I used to say is like, okay, I have a conversational awareness of UX and UI. Meaning I know the terms. I probably shouldn't have a talk about them. But if someone talks to me about them, I'm able to keep up. Whereas like I am completely ignorant of blockchain and NFTs. If you talk to me about NFTs, you're speaking Portuguese. Right. But in terms of my own stuff, I would say like I am fluent in that. I am conversational in this. And if you say something to me, I could probably figure it out. But I'm never going to claim to be an expert in it. And that for me was like a nice colloquial kind of cute way to be like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. That's no, not me. I think that makes sense. I, I think it's interesting that you're applying like language terms to it. Like you said, you know, if I like I can, I took what, three years of Spanish in high school. 
Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't speak anything, but I can pick up on some words. So I definitely not conversational. But, la biblioteca? <laughs> exactly. Like I'd be able to say, yeah, I can pick up some words here. Uh, but there's a very good chance that you are going to say something outside of my, you know, vocabulary, whatever that is. And if that is outside of my vocabulary, you're going to need to tell me what that means in English because I just yeah. genuinely don't know. No, I, I think that's a really good way to explain that. Well, I teach sales. I teach for profit service providers how to ask their consumers for money. I do not teach nonprofit fundraising. Mm-hmm. And I also don't teach people how to prep for VCs. I yeah. don't raise rounds with people, right? And yet all the time people are like, can you help me with my deck? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I know what should go in a deck. I have a high school Spanish acknowledgement of a deck. Yeah. But I'm not in any way going to send you into a VC with me because you won't make any money. <laughs> and I know that. Right. And yeah. I'm OK with that. And But I also because I've been doing this for a long time and I've identified the gaps in my own abilities and I've identified the gaps in my own delivery. I also knew who can fill those holes. So if you come to me and you're like, hey, listen, we're pitching to angels and and really need your help on that. You're going to go, you're not going to need my help on that. But what about these three people? Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that in itself is a very valuable skill set because I think you come out, if I'm looking at like how I came out of college with the attitude of, you know, I just graduated th- with this degree, I'm hot shit, I can solve, like put me in front of a computer, <laughs> I can solve anything, any language, whatever. And then you come to realize like, no, there is so much depth to absolutely everything in this space that I yeah. only have the bandwidth to be good at maybe a couple of things. And if I'm not good at something, it's not in my best interest to lie because it's going to be very stressful. You're going to be unhappy with like the outcome that you get. And that's not good for either of us. And I think that there are plenty of, you know, there are plenty of roles to fill where you will fit well. And I think that, you know, if if you are actually an expert in something and you're being honest to those customers, if you're being brutally honest, that's going to be a selling point in itself. Like like we uh, to kind of give an example in in our startup, we're currently looking for a couple advisors to fill just some gaps that we have. So one of them, like you said, you know, would be VC funding. You know, we're trying to explore whether or not we can sort of stay self-funded if we need to go VC, Mm -hmm. if we want to go maybe the incubator route. There are a lot of different options. I am aware of all those things. I'm aware of some options there. I could not tell you how like I could put together a deck. It would not be a good deck. Um, And so we're looking for someone. We have a very specific set of set of skills that we're looking for. It's, you know, do you understand fundraising? Do you understand, you know, why a startup would potentially go one route or the other? And we're not asking them for the world And, and the people that, you know, I do most of these interviews and the people that are most appealing to me are the ones that are saying like, look, this is what I've done before. If you want me to, you know, create a pitch deck, that's that's not me Um, like that. That is absolutely something that I appreciate and has been a factor when we've been making those decisions, you know, more times than I can count. It all boils down to specificity. Yeah. Specifically, what do you solve? Specifically, who do you need? Specifically, what gaps are you trying to fill? Specifically, what are your personal strengths? Because that's the other thing is that um, 
one thing that I see in startup landia that I wish would be more contagious in uh, digital marketing businesses or or similar online entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. infopreneurship, blah, 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 any of that, is if you look at like the three C's of of raising capital, the first one is character. We're looking at the team, right? Oh. We're looking to see what are the strengths of the people that are building this thing. And so I see startup founders, startup teams deal with imposter syndrome differently because they're like, look, I know these investors are going to be looking at me. So I am going to show up best foot forward. And if I'm not confident, I'm going to fake it. But really, mm-hmm. I'm going to prepare myself to be scrutinized in addition to my product. Yeah. And there's a bravery there, a tenacity there, and also kind of like a fuck it attitude, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. (laughs) Whereas I don't see, I see a lot of people on the other side of business still hiding behind their brand. Yeah. And saying like, oh, this is my product. This is my product. This is my service. But if you're not willing to be specific about you and what you're bringing to the table, just like it's a VC is going to be like, okay, but I'm sorry, who is Derek? Like, I get what Enshrine is, but who is Derek? Similarly, if you don't know who Annie P. Ruggles is, you're not going to want to learn sales from me, yeah. even if you like the non-sleazy sales academy concept, because I'm the one teaching you. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So how do you think startup folk does it come from having a tech background how how do we become steely in our self-presentation in your self-presentation the way that i look at it kind of like you said hiding behind a brand like there's there's absolutely Mm -hmm. stuff to be said about brand development i'm not gonna bash that at all but it's kind of the same way brand development. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same way. Like if you were to go into an interview and you're hiding behind your resume, like your resume can only get you so far. It's got all the things that you, you know, your experience, it's got what you're proficient in. It's got whatever else you have on there, but people aren't working with the resume. People are working with you. And so you have to take it a step further. Like the resume is the thing that gets you in the room. Like the brand is what gets you Mm -hmm. in the room you as you know the business owner as the digital marketer as whatever you are the one that that has to close it from there i think it's the same thing with startups and so i think probably the first step is just coming to that realization that like a brand is just a brand people are not working with at least with startups and these smaller companies they're not working with a company they're working with the person where does the confidence come from maybe it's similar to dating like hey if if you're in the room, they swiped right. You know, like they're giving you a chance. So there is something there and you are doing better than everyone <laughs> that they swiped left on. Right. Damn it. If that's not true. Right. Like, ah, oh, they swiped right. You're in the room. You're in the room. It doesn't mean that you're going on the date, but you are in the room. You have the shot. And and honestly, like you said, it's like, fuck it. Like, what what do I have to lose here? Like, worst thing that they can say is no. Yeah. And also, I know people that have gone on Shark Tank Mm -hmm. and gotten a no and their business exploded. Oh, yeah. And I also know people that went on Shark Tank and got a yes and their business went nowhere. Right. And so it's like the no or the yes is what you do with it. 
right? Like a very uh, famous in my life from back when I was in software, Shark Tank No. I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the show before. I think I have. Um, Mobcraft Beer out of Wisconsin, of course, the home of all craft beer. Uh, they are a crowdsourced brewery. So they get recipe inspiration from their followers. Okay. They have an upvoting system and people upvote or downvote the ideas and then they'll make whatever the most popular vote is in small batch craft beer. And they went on Shark Tank and the sharks were like, hey, cool. Um, we need you to do your production overseas and we need to get you out of craft into large production, obviously, because the VCs want to make money. Yeah. And Henry and the team, the founder and the team were like, excuse me, with respect, we are craft beer. Therefore, we are domestic. Right. And we have a brewery in Wisconsin and that's what we're looking to grow. So as much as the idea of mass production mm -hmm. may be really interesting and obviously lucrative, we're going to say no because we're Wisconsin boys and we want to make Wisconsin beer, yeah. basically. You don't think the state of Wisconsin rose to, to you know, support those boys? Like, are you kidding? People, <laughs> craft beer lovers were like, this is the kind of integrity we need to see on Shark Tank. They're like, we just want to stay in Wisconsin, you know? Yeah. Not that that wasn't hard to do, but I, last I heard, they're still doing just fine, right? Because they knew specifically the answer to your very first question. Yeah. What can you not deliver? They cannot deliver international large quantity Anheuser-Busch level beer. Yeah, they don't absolutely. want to. Yeah, that's actually a really good example. Now I want to go check them out. So you got me thinking about that. So I'm going to have you remind me oh, about yeah. that at the end of this show. They're dolls. Yeah, it's just like it's not always about you know, what you can't do. Sometimes it's like, what do you want to do? Like you have some say there too. You're not bound by whatever the client wants. You know, I, I, I had kind of the same thing. I, I would have clients come in, in consulting and would say, you know, we, we want you to do this implementation. And the thing that they were, pro they were proposing was like on the cheaper end of things, you knew it would be shitty once you built it. And then there would be, mm -hmm issues with it immediately you're like okay i i can already tell you day one after this thing launches you're going to have these issues you have all this in in our world we call it technical debt like you're you're going into mm -hmm. this accumulating technical debt which is something that you just do not want to do because it's the stuff yeah. that like keeps you up late fixing stuff when stuff breaks and it, like you you have the ability to say no like i like my work is represented in this i I don't want to do something that's shitty or I don't want to do, you know, like large yeah, beer no. batches are fine. I personally don't like them. I prefer the more local stuff because it's got, mm -hmm. you know, personality versus the big ones. You get something consistent. I'm not going to drink that many calories for consistency. I want to try something cool and unique and have it be an experience. So I think it's just about like, what do you want to deliver? And if you want to deliver the big batch beer that's like that's fine just be honest about that the thing that you aren't delivering then is the personality the small batch beer so there are trade-offs you can't do both you'll see big beer companies try and do both yeah they do it under different like... brands even because they're like people aren't going to believe that like Coors makes an ipa like fuck no i'm not going to drink yeah. that because 
I, I have all this associated with that brand. I'm not going to consume that many calories for something mass produced. Like that is such a gorgeous way to talk to small businesses, yeah. right? Like it's okay if you are intentionally niche. It's okay yeah. if you are intentionally small because we hear so much pressure in and out of tech about scale, 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 oh, scale, scale, scale. But you're totally right. You'll go into tech debt. Yeah. You'll go into tech debt. And for folks that don't understand the concept of tech debt, it's it's basically saying, you know, you're going to have to fix things, like mm -hmm. you said, and that it's going to constantly be broken or inadequate without putting in additional work. Yeah. And, and in uh, infopreneurship and digital marketing, that's like putting out a program. And I'm not talking about building the plane while flying it. That's great. Mm -hmm. We got to do that sometimes. But if you put out a program that you know is subpar and that you have to fix it the whole time while you're actively teaching people, that is your equivalent of tech debt. Yeah. If you know that you aren't fully ready to teach something and you start teaching it anyway, that's tech debt. If you and And we don't want that we don't want to create more work for our future selves right. ideally we want to create more spaciousness yeah. for our future selves more if we're gonna put in the hours then let's put the hours enhancing not fixing exactly it's 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 more work for yourself but it's work that you don't want to do and it's work mm -hmm. that i mean tech that especially if if you're in that space it's Pro probably people are recognizing that there is a deficiency and they're probably unhappy about it, which in I mean, in the long run is going to hurt your brand because people recognize like this is half ass. You phone this in. Um, I mean, that yeah. that's what TechNet is, is you're going into it intentionally knowing that you're yeah. delivering something subpar, which is not the same as this thing needs improvement later on because mm -hmm. we realize these things or here's the next iteration. That's going to happen. And that's the work, at least that I enjoy. I hate going back and fixing stuff that I knew the first time. I'm like, if I spent an extra hour, I just would not have had to address this. But now this thing is in production and now it's going to take me 10 hours to do it because all these other things now rely on this. And now it's a pro So it's not even like the same and amount of work. And now it's a customer service issue because yeah. you have users. Oh, exactly. You could have taken an hour to do it when no one had eyes on it and now you got to take 10 hours and you have disgruntled users and disgruntled vendors and disgruntled everybody. Yeah, exactly. Right? So and, there's, there's that pressure to scale. There's that pressure to hit deadlines and, and there is definitely a healthy trade-off there. Like you can't delay the launch of your thing by five years because you want it to be absolutely perfect. Like it's not that, but it is you know, is this thing going to piss off your customer? And if yeah. so, is there something that you can quickly do about it? And, and like now before they get pissed off and it negatively impacts you. Yep. I mean, I see this all the time with video games where the big video game houses have gotten really, really familiar with putting out broken games. Oh, yeah. And then waiting for the populace to bitch. And I'm like, y'all, that's what a beta is for. <laughs> have we have we forgotten the beta? Have yeah. we forgotten the value of even heaven forbid an alpha before? Like, come on. Yeah. And and it's kind of funny because, you know, it's I love you, Bethesda. I love you. We're a Bethesda household. Ryan loves Skyrim. I love mm -hmm. Fallout. When a new Fallout game comes out. 
I assume <laughs> that within my first few hours of gameplay, I'm going to wind up in a hole yeah. that I cannot get out of and that I'm going to have to lose all my progress. And I've, I've come to accept this as a rite of passage. Yeah. That is insane. <laughs> Can you even imagine if I was like, hey, I'm relaunching sales for Empaths, but half of the modules don't work. Like, yeah. what? Yeah, exactly. What? Exactly. You'd never, you'd never do that. You'd never intentionally want to go in doing that. And, and I guess, I mean, usually there is some sort of pressure that drives people to do that. And I think that's where at least in the startup space, right? Like it's, it's usually the VCs. It's the people funding you. They want return. Um, mm -hmm. Like this is absolutely something that we're actively working through where we're trying to decide is like, we don't, we don't actively need the money right now. And so we are going, if we want to go with external funding, we one want to choose someone that is a good fit for us. Yeah. The space, and two, we are able to push back on and we can say, no, like mm -hmm. we, we are not, we are going to delay this by, two months or whatever to make sure that when we launch you know the platform or a new feature or something that it is not subpar because i mean for some people you really only get that one impression like you get that one first impression mm -hmm. and then you know if you fuck that up that's that's the last time they're going to be at your site so you really want to be putting that that best foot forward as well yeah so speaking of putting best foots forward, <laughs> okay, so I'm pushing 40 and I am very much starting to feel like the internet is a giant VCR that I don't know how to program. Okay. Um, in that, like, I, I feel, I'm starting to feel left behind mm -hmm. and I feel left behind because I'm remaining intentionally ignorant. Mm -hmm. of all this new stuff happening on the internet. Also, every single time I see an ad for Meta, I want to like <laughs> peel off my own skin. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, there there are ads for Facebook ads now. I'm like, I don't need an ad for ads, you guys. That is too Meta. <laughs> yeah. Even for Meta. Yeah. But, you know, I am worried and I know I'm not the only one. Um. My business relies on the internet. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about language proficiency. I feel like the internet is in Hindi now sure. in terms of all of these other things. Like I told you, I own zero crypto. Yeah. I uh I I don't really understand what an NFT is. Uh, I, 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 uh, but you know, <laughs> you are building a platform right now specifically for content creators like me mm -hmm. to navigate this new and evolving internet. What, what do we need to know? What is irresponsible for people like me not to understand? And, and what is, what else are we going to warm up into? Absolutely. Really good question. Uh, you were not alive in the 70s. I would not have guessed 40. I would have guessed uh, early 30s. That that might just be my camera, your camera resolution. I don't think it is. Um, but I mean, I'm it, only 38. I'm not 40 yet. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the Internet has been around for a lot longer than than what we think. So one thing to take into perspective is it's been around for like 50 years now. So the stuff didn't just happen when we got the iPhone was not the birth of the Internet. Right. There was a lot of stuff before that. <laughs> I'm old enough to know, you know, what what AOL, 
you know, it used to be. I'm old enough to know what a VCR is. You didn't used to get the CDs in the mail. Yeah, the CDs in the mail. I remember having to install that and having issues with my my drive and stuff. But it does, it does change. There are always going to be people saying, here's this new flashy thing. This is the future. You don't understand it. It's very technical. It's a thing that we people in tech like to do. I I can speak to this because I get excited about cool shit like the concepts of, and we're going to call it Web3. I've got like a Web3 Mm -hmm. primer. I'm going to throw out a bunch of words you've probably heard and just say it doesn't mean shit. Here's what you actually need to know. But yeah, actually, let's just pivot into that. So if, if you've heard crypto, NFTs, DeFi, trustless, decentralized, all kind of terms that people that really like cool tech use to describe shit that they want you to think is uber complicated, which it is complicated. And it seems like in this space, there are people that they really like people thinking that the stuff that they do is really complex and they're incredibly smart and they want you to know that. And so they're going to explain like we've all had that. Person. Ah, tech bros. Yeah, tech bros. Exactly. And and <laughs> I, I hesitate bringing up nfts unprompted because i'm like i am not one of them like i frankly oh, most no. of them are stupid bro <laughs> when you applied to be on the show literally yesterday y'all Derek moves fast <laughs> uh i knew from your message that mm-hmm. you were not a tech bro but if your message had not been so lovely written i would have had to research whether or not you were a tech bro sure because no, we, we, we are many things here at uh tltq but a tech bro show we are not. Yeah. So everyone, everything Derek is about to say, uh, y'all can't see me, but I'm using a pet as a microphone, even though I'm talking <laughs> into a microphone. What the hell? Everything Derek is about to say has been cleansed of the tech bro title. Derek, have at, teach us. That is that is probably the best thing you could have said there for my personal reputation, because I absolutely do not want that label. And if I do get it, I'm just going to write you a testimonial for your website. (laughs) (laughs) If I ever get that, I'm just going to go live on an island somewhere or something because it's (laughs) horrible. Um, Yeah. So I will let's start off by defining it. So so we call it Web3. There are a lot of words that are kind of used interchangeably. So a lot of people have heard crypto. That's probably the biggest one Um, that Mm -hmm. refers to cryptocurrency, which is a subset of Web3. So all Web3 is, take another step back, Web2 is the current internet that exists today. So it's your social media platforms, your streaming platforms, Mm -hmm. Google, everything that is the current internet is Web2. And Web2 really got issued in with social, Uh, right? Like that idea of, of internet users as contributors. Yeah, contributing content, but that content being centralized in large organizations mostly. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be a large organization to own a website, obviously. But if you look at, you know, let's you said Meta, you know, Meta is a giant platform that controls, you own the content. Technically, they control if that content even exists on their servers, right? So that's Web2. If Meta wants to take down your post tomorrow for whatever reason... That's their mm-hmm. prerogative. It's in their terms. They can take down whatever for whatever reason. Yeah, because you don't actually own it. I mean, you own the rights to it. That's how they don't get sued if you say some stupid shit. Um, they don't own it, but they own where it exists, which is like mm-hmm. this gray area that 
allows them to operate without the liability, which is a whole different discussion. But um, Facebook doing something <laughs> shady? What? You can tell I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Zuck. You can tell. Um, so oh, Web Web three is is looking to change like the idea of everything being centralized to everything being decentralized. So just an example, we can take a Facebook post. Um, so you post, let's just say a picture, you got a picture of your cat. That's the birth of the popular internet was a bunch of cat pictures. So that cat picture, if you post it on Facebook, lives on a Facebook server, it's only accessible through Facebook, Facebook can take it down if they want to. How Web3 works is you publish that picture to, we can say, let's just technically say the blockchain, although that would be very expensive on most blockchains, but let's just say you put it on a blockchain. So that initially will get sent off. There's a big process that goes into how that's kind of verified. Um, I will point you to my site's blog. I write all the articles on there that explain what is a blockchain. It's 1,500 words. That'll go into a lot more detail than this. But it'll go off to, let's just say, a single computer. The techie term is node. Just call it a node. It's a computer, same thing. And then it is distributed to every other computer that lives you know that is supporting this blockchain so it's typically thousands of individual computers maintaining their own record so instead of facebook owning you know one copy of that this is a thousand different people owning the exact same copy and so if one person wanted to delete it one that's not possible but two there's 999 other people with that exact same picture on right. there and so it's not a single entity controlling everything. It is, you know, individuals not or companies not having control, individuals not even having control after it's written, but this sort of trustless way of writing things. So it's distributed. Web3, a blanket term, is just something that involves this distributed technology. So an NFT is a subset of that. A cryptocurrency is a subset of that. It's just a different way that these same concepts are implemented. So very blanket. That's what you need to know about Web3 crypto, whatever, is essentially taking away the power from large companies and distributing it to many, many, many different people so that they have less power. Um, you're kind of coming back. That was a long, a very long-winded answer. But no, coming back, it wasn't to- at all. <laughs> I mean, I think for people like me who are always doing our own stuff and who have a lot of intellectual property, something like this sounds so advantageous for us because as we've talked about in a previous episode here i'm almost always in instagram jail and i Mm -hmm. have no idea why because i haven't violated any of the damn terms of service yeah but there's no judge or jury for instagram jail i can't plead my case for instagram jail i just can't put anything out that week so if i had my own area where i could share with my own people Mm -hmm. then the fictitious Instagram jail rules yeah. no longer apply to me. Yeah. For well, better and for worse. Yeah. I mean, there there are pros and cons to that, right? Like if if someone posts something that is, I'm trying to come up with an example that's not horrific, but something that is very clearly blatantly illegal. Blatantly disgusting. Blatantly right? disgusting. And it's blatantly illegal. And they post that on Instagram. It gets taken down. If that is yeah. written to a blockchain, 
absolutely nothing can be done about that. Like it is on there forever. So that is a potential downside. Like they say the internet is forever. This shit is really forever. You cannot scrub it. So that is a potential downside. And that's why. But you get the receipts because it's you not get the receipts. Yeah, so they like, cannot be deleting the things that they're posting. The freaking Proud Boys could take advantage of this. But also then they can't be like, we never said that because there's receipts. Yeah, there are receipts. That is the whole point is there being receipts. Um, That kind of ties into the second point, which is at least it's it's my belief that there are a lot of people saying Web3, crypto, whatever is going to completely turn the internet as you know it on its head. Uh, the pace of people, just historically, we can say that's not going to happen. Meta is not going to go belly up because there's a new cryptocurrency thing today and there's a new social media platform built on blockchain. Like That's, that's not going to happen, right? People don't shift that fast. There's a lot of stuff in Meta. There's a lot of value still there. That's not going to happen. What we think is going to happen is we're going to see this slight, very slow transition of some things from Web 2 to Web 3. We're trying to solve a very specific problem within there. But it's not going to just be day and night. It's not going to flip a switch and all be Web 3 and all these you know digital businesses are just going to be shit out of luck because everything is now completely foreign to them. I don't think that's how it's going to work. Um, if it was going to work that way, I think we would have already seen it. I think it's still going mm-hmm. to be years, like potentially decades until we see some actual valuable applications that every single person uses versus if you look at like NFTs today, you probably know like one or two people in your life that are using it. And I'm sure they have some very good reason for thinking that that's a good idea. But it's not something that like, the test that I use is like, is this something that my mom would use? My mom is not buying an NFT. She has no reason to buy one. Yeah. She doesn't have a good reason. And if she's not going to buy one, there are billions of people that will not be participating in that. So that's... that's yeah, there are of, billions of people that are also not buying NFTs. And it's it's not even like a technical proficiency thing. It could just be... There's not a good reason for you to do it, which I would argue is is the case with everything that we're seeing today. So that's that's kind of hopefully that <laughs> makes listeners feel a little bit better that and it's just it's just my opinion. The fuck do I know? But my opinion is that that is not a lot more than me. <laughs> yeah, that that's not going to change overnight. Um, and, and so really, all you need to do is be. Be humble about what you do and don't know. If it's in the crypto space, that's probably easy to be humble about it. But also, it's not that difficult to understand if someone is willing to explain it in a way that is in plain English. And, you know, I I, I try and write all my articles. I don't care if you think that I'm smart or not. I'm trying to explain it in a way that makes sense to me, would make sense to my parents, would make sense to anyone that doesn't really understand too much about the space. And, And it is... It is possible. There are some aspects that are incredibly technical, but that's the same thing with current web today. Like how AI, you know, how AI works or how machine learning algorithms work. I could talk for hours about that and it would be gibberish to most people. So it is complex, but you don't need to know also. Or there's like a small little summary that I could give you that you're like, oh, that's how this works. Um, We're not going to be like rounded up and quizzed. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird yeah. handmaid's like tale where they're like, explain. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. 
Yeah. Like cart you away to an old folks home (laughs) at the ripe age of 40 and are like, sorry, you couldn't accurately explain uh, trustless. Trustless. How how blockchain algorithms work. Yeah. Out to pasture. Um, no, but I think that's great. And I do think that's very relieving because I don't want to feel irresponsible with mm-hmm. my ignorance. And yet I don't want all of this new tech to consume my life because I agree with you. I think the change will be more gradual. Like Facebook originally was just for college students. Yeah. And even that took a while to catch wind. Like the biggest site in modern times took time to get to where it is. And yeah. Amazon was operating for years before people were actually shopping. Like everyone was actually mm-hmm. shopping on it. Like it, it takes a while for these things to scale. And Amazon started with just books, which is I wish how it would have stayed, but yeah. you know, <laughs> right? Me, but that's the, me being crotchety. Do you remember in my day, Amazon <laughs> sold books, and the internet was owned by somebody else, and we didn't have to worry about the Russians, like you know that. <laughs> All that shit. I'm really grateful for that kind of permission slip to stay awake, stay alert, follow your own interest. But you don't we don't all have to quit everything we're doing and enroll in a boot camp tomorrow. Yeah, we we are all lifelong learners. This is a marathon, not a sprint. There will be years for people to slowly pick up little bits of information to kind of gain that understanding. It's the same thing with the Internet. And there are still a lot of people's grandparents still don't understand how the internet works. So it, it's like, you know, it, <laughs> which I'm not going to comment on that. There are a lot of grandparents that do understand the internet. Um, but it's just a matter of like being willing <laughs> to gain that understanding over time. You don't have to do it overnight. It's not going to revolutionize stuff immediately, but there will be little applications that, you know, swap over there because there's a good reason to. Well, approach it with curiosity, yeah, right? Exactly. Like you would anything else. Yeah. So I'm just going to stay a tourist of the internet <laughs> until someone tells me I have to change something, right? Yeah, I mean, we all are. I, I know a fraction of 1% of stuff that's, you know, the capabilities of the internet or whatever, and I'm in the tech field. So it's like, we all don't know a whole lot. And just know that anyone that's trying to convince you otherwise, there are a couple of people that do know everything, which whatever. Um, I don't know if you'd want to talk to them. They're probably a lot of fun. Um, But most people (laughs) are just as, you know, just as lost, just as beginning there. And that's that's just how it is. And and a lot of people are going to try and convince you that they know a lot more than they actually do. It's it's that like imposter syndrome, right? Like everyone is kind of just faking it. I feel like Web3 is is the dream of GeoCities brought into the modern era. Mm. Like good old freaking GeoCities. It was like, you get to decide where you want your website to live. Do you want your website to live in business town? Or do you want your website to live in punk music town? It's yeah. Like, okay, we're getting we're getting smaller. We're getting smaller. <laughs> we're getting less centralized. So uh, yes, the dream of GeoCities is alive and well in 2020. Yeah. Um, all right. So you said it's a marathon, not a sprint, which I so totally appreciate because I've also brought you here today to talk about a reality show based on sprinting, 90 day sprinting specifically. <laughs> Derek, what the hell does any of this newfangled internet stuff 
content creation, ownership, radical transparency. What does any of that have to do with the international sensation 90 Day Fiance? If I can pull a comparison out of my ass because I genuinely did not connect the two dots before this. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's radical honesty right there. <laughs> um, I would say the current how NFTs over the past year where it's gone from a picture of a monkey selling for $5 million to everything crashing down in the most recent months. It's all a shit show. And that is mm. why I, uh, I love to watch, but I hate that I love to watch 90 Day Fiance. Let's just say that was planned well ahead of time. And that, that was all gorgeous. makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's got that schadenfreude component. Like I told you in the green room, I don't watch 90 Day Fiance, but I have watched my weight in Love After Lockup. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm an anti-incarceration person in general, so that kind of surprises me. But damn, is it nice to watch people run up the stairs instead of the front door. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you? What are you? What are you? How? And I feel like 90 Day Fiance has got that similar thing where you're like, oh, yeah, great idea. Lean into that shit. Yeah, I'll, I'll deviate from the comparison on how it all connects. There is just something that is is in the back of my brain that really enjoys watching this shit show unfold. And, and like you have to be able to kind of disassociate from like, fuck, this is actually someone's life that we're looking at. And mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. did they get to this point where they went over to a foreign country? Because like that, the original show, I would say is, is interesting. It's people coming to the US. And then there's another spinoff called 90 Day Fiance the other way, where either the 90 Day Fiance visa was denied, so the person couldn't come over to the US, or they, for some reason, don't want to live in the US or whatever it is. They will go to this other country and live there for some amount of time. Sometimes it's longer than, than 90 days. And you'll see people that go over to, uh, I, I don't want to fuck up the countries and seem very ignorant, but um, you'll see a couple go, I think there was one actually in, uh, in Nigeria, where it's just this like 55-year-old woman from the South, has never traveled internationally besides maybe Cancun is absolutely like you'll hear her talk just absolutely ignorant and then goes over to live in Nigeria and is is just like exactly how you would think an american living a 55 year old southern american woman looks like a biker i mean just absolutely yes. ridiculous and then she goes over there and God. she just talks shit about absolutely everything and it is I mean, to some extent, it does make you feel good because you're like, at least I'm not this big of an asshole. Like, I have that to feel good about because I, you know, if, if I'm traveling to a foreign country, I'm not going to say, why aren't you more like America? We have our own shit here. I don't want the entire world to be like America. No, fuck no. Also, American tourists are the worst. I can't imagine how much worse it is when you move somewhere. Oh, yeah. If, if you have that American exceptionalism and you're... I'd, I also don't understand why you would move away if you actually think, you know, America's absolutely yeah. the greatest country. I can't believe anyone would want to live anywhere else. Why, why are you living anywhere else? Like, why are you bothering these people? Why are you going there? Um, so that that one, I would say, is probably the most 
interesting spinoff. I think they have a couple more from like specific characters that were just incredible train wrecks that are kind of annoying to watch. Um, but you'll see, and, and the way that they cover it too, if, if you haven't watched it, it's like five or six different couples. And so each episode is kind of like jumping between storylines. And so it's also that like, you're not just following a single story. It's got that bit for like, you know, that, that ADHD part of your brain that's like, I don't want to focus on this for more than like five minutes at a time. And it'll keep swapping between in, in a really interesting way. You know what comparison I see? And I don't want to offend people that are like super into crypto or super into NFTs. But what I see is that like quick hysteria. Oh, yeah. In that like, I feel like I blinked and everybody that had bought any crypto or bought an NFT was suddenly their old business was gone uh-huh. and they were exclusively teaching people how to get into crypto. And I'm like, where's your old body of work? Yeah. You're what happened to that? <laughs> give all of that up. Like I saw this happen with Clubhouse too, where like mm. people were liking Clubhouse and I would blink and I would go and people that had been teaching marketing or LinkedIn or yeah. something else, their whole website would be completely changed and boom. Yeah. Now we're exclusively teaching Clubhouse. And then two months later, people were tired of Clubhouse. And I'm like, but you burned down your whole business. Like yeah. two months after 90 Day Fiance, 60 days into 90 Day Fiance, <laughs> you're living in Nigeria, realizing yeah. you're ignorant and probably racist. Yeah. And, you know, you burned your whole life down on a whim. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's like there's a difference between what we're talking about today, which is like staying responsibly aware of the way things are changing and like getting a 90 day fiance visa and then marrying that person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not some of those marriages work out. If you do that quick pivot, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of them surprisingly do not. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. that's a really good comparison. I think it's also interesting if you look at in the traditional, the, the traditional 90 day fiance where they come over, there's always this part where family members or friends or whatever will come over and meet this person. There's always that conversation of like, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily like the, Oh, are they just, you know, in the relationship for the green card? Uh, but there will be family members that are looking this ob- at this objectively and they're like, do you even know what her last name is? Like, not not exactly yeah. that, but it's like, do you even know no, yes. what her favorite foods are? Do you know like anything Color. about her? And they're like, well, I mean, middle name. Yeah, it's like, well, sh- I, I really liked her pictures on this one site. And we talked on the phone like three times and we've been texting for five years. And, and there are those people coming in just sanity checking and being like, can you objectively look at this? I think people kind of get that tunnel vision when they see this Web3 stuff. And and we, in starting our business, we we kind of, our initial idea was that we were with open eyes going into it. We were saying we want to build something very quickly that can kind of capitalize on this hype and let people, you know, because this is a wave, we know it's not long-term, we want to do this. Um, we were doing the same thing. We were like, let's just jump into this thing without a ton of thought and do that. And then we, I think luckily, at least from my perspective, because I'm still here working on it over a year later, took a step back and we were like, maybe 90 days is not enough (laughs) to keep this relationship afloat. 
Uh, maybe we have to actually get to learn. We'll continue the analogy. What we want in a partner. Maybe we need to. Maybe we actually need to learn a lot of different things, and find someone that's actually a good fit. And that is the approach that we took. And it might still be a shit show, but at least it's got maybe lower odds than if we just would have hopped into that ninety day relationship. It's a well constructed aware shit show yeah exactly we at least have a bit more method there and we can at least say we thought it through and so if it still fails whatever we thought it through we can't use that as an excuse all right well speaking of tell us about your shit show tell us about enshrine yeah absolutely so the the tagline we are a web3 platform that is looking to connect content creators with their fans directly and we're calling it like a community engagement platform um that's the tagline that's not super helpful i always like to start with kind of a, a comparison and you're in content creation so this is perfect um what our platform allows you to do is create and we're even pivoting away from the term nfts because there's just so much shit there they are nfts under the hood we are just calling them tokens call it like a community token call it whatever you want Uh, We are taking the aspect of NFTs that we think is the most important and the reason that people should use it, which is uh, in in kind of techie terms, they call it utility. We're calling it perks. So there are, for a content creator that has not even a large fan base, but let's just say a fan base, there are Mm -hmm. going to be a smaller set. It's kind of that like you know, 10% rule, like the 10% of your most loyal customers drive whatever X amount of the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are those fans that are willing to financially support you more so than like the casual supporter. And so what we are trying to do, or what we are doing is providing a platform that allows you to specify different perks, tie them to a token, and then allow your supporters your fans to purchase that token so think it is kind of similar to patreon in that there's that subscription level of support and you get this kind of special access in exchange for the support uh the reason that we went with and and kind of the other thing that we say is like we went with web3 not as the why that's not why we started the business it's how we're solving the problem i think that's how you have Mm -hmm. to approach it in this space Yes, that we stuck with that. Like, think about Patreon. I pay you five bucks a month for access to extended clips on podcast episodes. If I stop my subscription, that's no longer available to me. And it's also just a one way flow of money. Right. And so if I've been a supporter of yours for five years and now I stop subscribing and then let's say a month later, I resubscribe. Uh, at least I'm I'm not super familiar with Patreon. I don't think that you'd maintain that like long term supporter badge, right? Because you I don't think you do because you stepped out. You stepped out and you came back, and there might have been a good reason for that. Like there might have been mm-hmm. whatever. People have reasons for doing that. They came back. They still obviously support you. In implementing it this way, there is that initial one way flow of money, right? The person purchases something from you. The money flows there. But because it is this token that can be exchanged, not just on our platform, but on other platforms, they can then sell that to another fan if they want to. They can transfer it to someone else. And then there is the ability to tie basically royalties to an NFT sale. 
And so not only do you get that initial payment for that thing that you were selling access to, but you are also getting a percentage of whatever you specify every time that thing is sold on any platform. And so now that supportership is both one permanent, like you said, there's a record, there are receipts, there are receipts that I have been a supporter for five years and I've owned this thing. And maybe I was the first hundred fans. And that's, that's really fucking cool when you follow a creator and they blow up and people will always say like, I knew this band before they got big. Okay. Whatever. Like, how do I know that's even true? You might have like a shirt from an early tour or something. But a lot of people are full of shit. This is a way to prove that, which I think is cool. Yeah. That in itself is not cool enough to justify why you should use it. Um, but it's also now a liquid asset. Like you, and we're careful with the term investing um, because that has specific impl- implementa- implementations, Jesus, about whether or not that's like a regulated security. So we're going to use the term right. investing loosely. It's not technically mm-hmm. an investment. Um, but you can now be invested in this content creator that you like. So if you did support them at, say, 100 supporters, and now there's a million people that follow you, that thing that you got early on, that like limited edition merch, is now, in theory, it's not going to apply to everyone, but in theory, worth more because it is that early access thing that like only those diehard yeah. fans really have. It's that day one perk. Yeah. The day one perk. So you might be in it to speculate. I I personally wouldn't use it like that. But I, I mean, even if you're looking at it that way, you're speculating on, do I think this person is going to be more or less popular in the future? But it's also mm-hmm. like, I want that proof that I supported this person early on. And I also want that access. So like an example would be, let's say that you had, you know, you have this course and then let's say I want to sell 10 seats to a monthly Q&A call. We have, let's just say on on Discord, because that's actually something that we have right now. Mm-hmm. But let's say you have a like a Discord server where all your community comes together. If people aren't familiar, it's basically just a messaging platform with like a couple extra capabilities. Discord is like Slack for fun people. I'm going to get some hate mail for that. But let's say that you wanted to do that. You wanted to sell these 10 seats and you said, you know what, for... 500 bucks or something like that's that's what I think is going to be worth my time. You get 12 months worth of access to this call every single month. So you create a token on our platform, you attach it's it's exactly the same as an NFT would be. So you attach like a title description, you could attach like a video of you saying something funny or a picture doesn't matter any kind of media file, you attach that create a price, you know, add royalties or a bunch of other options that you can add. We also have support for like, do you want to sort of tease the sale of this thing for like a month? So you would not be able to purchase it for a month, but people could come in and see, you know, watch it, follow along on that listing. And then you can sell that, right? And we would then, it's published on our platform. The other differentiating piece, which a couple of other NFT platforms do this, your supporter, when they go in and buy that thing for 500 bucks, they say, I think, you know, this is worth it to me. I think one of the NFT might be cool. I want to attend these calls. I think Annie's going to be more popular in the future. Whatever the reason is, they Hell go in and purchase. Yes, I am. <laughs> We're very bullish on Annie. They will pay with a credit card. Currently, credit or debit card. That's the only payment method that we support for the time being. We, ex- we plan on expanding that in the future. But for the time being, credit or debit. You might not even know that you're purchasing something that lives on the blockchain, which 
is great where we want it to be that simple, frankly. Um, we do want you to know what you're actually buying, but you should not need to know anything about that. Right. You don't need to know every single server of every single thing with every... Blah, 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 blah. I mean, you don't need to. You don't even need... Like, you don't need to know anything. You own the thing. We set up all the technical stuff for you. That person, that supporter then has that token. And then we build in these integrations where you have a Discord server and we'll tie it to, let's say, a specific role on there that gets you access to special channels or whatever it is. When that person then resells the token, they lose the role. We automatically handle that. It goes to the new person and you, again, can resell it in cash. And you, Annie, instead of getting paid in cryptocurrency, also get paid out in USD. So it's very much geared towards people that... You don't have any cryptocurrency, great. You probably don't want to get paid in cryptocurrency. It's a pain in the ass for taxes. Who knows if you like the cryptocurrency that we'd be paying you out in? Like, there are just a lot of factors. So, you know, beyond Discord, we plan on doing these integrations with different Web2 platforms beyond Discord. So that way, we're kind of bridging that gap. That's kind of our philosophy. There's going to be that slow transition. You're probably not going to engage your supporters on a Web3 platform. It's probably going to be on a Web2 platform or a phone call or whatever it is. That's the basic overall idea. Uh, my bad if that was longer <laughs> intended. No, it was fine. It was great. I told you, I know nothing about any of this and yeah. I need to. So I thought you did great. Awesome. I got two more questions for you before I send you back into your day. You go on Shark Tank. And you're pitching your startup and one of the sharks is like, actually, no, we're going to give you $2 million (laughs) to start a 90 day reality show of people (laughs) making humongous life decisions in a 90 day span. (laughs) New coming soon to A&E or whatever the fuck network. Yeah. Derek, 90 day what and what's the premise? <sighs> 90 day what? Um damn, I don't want to make it relationship based, but those are all the ideas coming to my mind. 90 day co-founder? 90 day co-founder. <laughs> that might be interesting actually. Let's say that cuz I do find it fascinating when people let's say 90 day <laughs> college kids start a company in their dorm room. 90-day incubator. 90-day incubator. I specifically want to focus on the 18 to 22-year-old demographic because I know how ignorant I was at the time. And I think that would be the most entertaining where they're realizing like, wait, I need to actually start a business for this business to be a business. Like there'd just be so much stuff that I would look about. 90-day boot camp graduates. Like the 90 days. That'll be like, it'll be like a, the one where they send you into prison. It'll be like 60 days inside. It'll be like, or like the first 48. It'll be like nine months after boot camp. <laughs> yeah. Because I, th- I think anyone that started a small business, there was probably that like paralysis for a time where you're like, yep. fuck, there oh, is yeah. so much that I need to do here that I don't know anything about. And there's it. it I mean, it's it's bad, but I would like watching that that struggle just because it's like it is oh, yeah. more complex than people think. Ninety day startup. Oh god. Ninety day startup. <laughs> it probably uh, wouldn't be fun to watch. I'll be honest. I don't think it would get renewed, but I think I would have fun making it. I would watch it. I think it could get renewed. 
But then again, we never know until we try. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So what is the best way for our listeners to get involved in what you're building or and or to start a conversation with you? Yeah, absolutely. I'll split those two apart. So if you mm-hmm. are a content creator, you want to see a little bit more information about what we're about. Uh, we currently have a wait list set up for creators. Uh, we're a small team, so we can't just open the floodgates to everyone day one. Uh, so we're letting in a limited number of people and then we'll eventually start growing that number. Um, if you want to learn more, if you want to get on that wait list, uh, hopefully you can put the link in the bio. It's just enshrine.io. That's the extension. Um, and you'll see a big wait list button up at the top. Uh, and I know that this this episode is going out sometime early fall. Uh, we don't have a set launch date yet, but we anticipate launching right around then. So if there is not a wait list button, it means that we have already launched and then there will be a way to it's live. It's live. Fantastic. I will probably have a lot less time on my hands uh, troubleshooting (laughs) shit. Get in touch with me personally, whether or not it's about Web3, it can be about anything. I really just like meeting new people, getting connected with new people. LinkedIn is probably the best one. If it's like more of a personal conversation, I'll typically take it to another avenue. But that's just like an easy way to vet, you know, people I get to see, you know, your profile and stuff. And their content. And their content. Honestly, that's helpful, too. Uh, Yeah. So just LinkedIn and Derek Gorthy. I should be the only one on there. It's a pretty weird name. Uh, But yeah, feel free. Just send me a connection request. I review that like every every day or so. I try not to be on there too much, but I do get push notifications for connection requests. So don't hesitate to reach out. I promise I don't bite. And I, I do genuinely like getting connected with new people, even if we're in completely separate fields. Well, thank you so much for bringing your weird name and your fabulous brain <laughs> to my show today. It has been so relieving and refreshing to talk about these concepts with a non-judgy, non-tech bro. I will gladly write you a testimonial that you are not a tech bro and you can take that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to put that on my my resume. Non-judgy, yeah, take non-tech that to bro. <laughs> Go and be like, Andy P. Ruggle says I'm not a tech bro. And the sharks will be like... Huh? (laughs) What? But no, it's been a pleasure and I cannot wait to see what happens after you launch. And listeners, I'll make sure that I'm keeping you aware of what's happening too. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on, Annie. Heck yeah. Everybody, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. Yay, I don't have to buy NFTs. I've been feeling so downright geriatric lately. So that permission slip Derek gave me, gave me hope too. I can slow down. I can learn as I go. It's not a life or death situation. Someone will find me and fill me in when it's time to adapt. But in the meantime, I can just keep on doing my own thing here on Web2. And it got me thinking, Do you need permission slip for something too? Your homework this week is to look at the stuff outside your wheelhouse that still finds its way into your brain week after week, time after time. 
Maybe it's the financial oxygen odd jobs you take for loyal returning customers, but really aren't the best use of your time or expertise. Maybe it's the new skill or system you're trying to master that just doesn't get along well with your brain or you just don't find as interesting as you had hoped. Maybe it's previous versions of your own business, price points and promises you've outgrown, but feel obligated to offer or just haven't fully sunset yet. Whatever it is, write yourself a permission slip to let it go. Pay attention to the should-based statements that come up on the way out. These are just further indications that those thoughts are based on expectations, not actual needs. Then, with newfound space and time, ask yourself what must be done and how can you show up best foot forward? What is good enough to double down on for, say, the next 90 days? Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbasio, And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time.